You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. So, Charles Surgeon once said, you will never find true faith unattended by true godliness, nor will you ever discover a truly holy life which does not have as its root a living faith based upon the righteousness of Christ. The last few weeks, we've been looking at Christ-centered holiness. First and foremost, our growth in holiness is grounded in our union with Jesus Christ. And the more we gaze upon him and the work that he has accomplished for us, the Spirit enables us to live holy. Last week, we looked at the passage that talks about the killing of our old self, of, of slaying it, of, of throwing it away. For the, we understand that there's a war that is going on between our new nature and our old nature. So we talked a lot about our old nature and what the sins of desires and the sins of disunity. So this morning we're going to look at the putting on, the putting on of Christ because of this union that we have. So follow along as I read from Colossians 3. Verses 10 through 17. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, again, we gather around your word this morning and we pray that you would encourage us by your spirit, that you would remind us of who we are in Christ, that you remind us of this union that we have in Christ and what that means as we live this life before one another and before you. Do that work of grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Corey Tenboom and her family shows to me an example of what it looks like on putting on the new life that we have in Christ. Corrie Tenboom and her family helped the Jewish people in Holland during World War II to escape the Holocaust. In fact, they would hide many, many Jewish families in their small home. They were eventually caught and were sent to the concentration camp themselves. There, Corrie and their family experienced both physical and emotional abuse and pain. And as her family were often beaten and some had died, even in those periods, she reflected Jesus in her life. 
However, a couple years later, after the fall of Germany, after her, her, her best friend's sister died, Betsy, and she was released from the camp, she spoke to a church. She would go throughout Germany to talk about her experiences, or Holland, to talk about her experience. After one of these times, a man came up to her. Bradley Winkler, a playwright, enacts the scene as follows. Madam Tenboom, how grateful I am for your message. To think, as you say, he has washed my sins away. Corey is stunned. She withdraws her hand. Corey says, I remember you. You were there, weren't you, at Ravensbrook? Yes, I was. I was the guard at the camp, Lieutenant Metzler. Corey turns and begins to walk away. But I left that life behind, Madam Tenboom. I know him now, and we are one in his love. So in the play, the light changed, dimming all on Corey. As the others freeze, she steps from the scene and addresses the audience directly. And she says this, His hands were thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preach so often to the people at Blumendahl the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. I tried to smile. I struggled to, to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. He was the overseer at Ravensbrook. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy, my dear sister, pain-blanched face. And all my words about joy and forgiveness were lost in the memories of the whole ordeal that we had lived through. What will enable Corey Tenboom to forgive her captive and show holiness in the midst of an extremely uncomfortable and painful situation? Let's make it personal. How do we live holy in the midst of the many challenges and temptations we face in our lives? Let me remind us again, we have a living union with a living Savior. Christ-centered holiness then, as a result of this living union, puts on this new life in Christ. This passage helps us to see that. So I want to explore this morning, what is this new life? What is the result of our new life? What is the motive to live this new life? And what is the goal of this new life? Look with me at verses 10 and 12 again, and we see, begin to see what this new life is. Verse 10 says, Now having put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then in verse 12, then put on then this new life. See, Paul reminds us that we are now at this very moment a new man and woman in Christ, and that we need constant renewing and refreshing. In fact, Paul draws our attention to Genesis 1.27, where God says that we are created in his image. See, the process of holiness is the Spirit renewing us in the image of Christ. That takes place as we come to a deeper fellowship with Christ. See, we have 
this new nature. If you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, we have this new nature. We have this new self. We have this new life. And God delights to make that life that is in Christ and make Christ in that new nature. It is an ongoing process that God does in us so that we can put off the desires of sin and disunity and then to put on the true characteristics and the qualities of Jesus. In fact, Paul uses put on, or another translation is close yourselves, to help us understand this very essential truth. And uh, for us to understand that, we need to contrast that to what we talked about last week when he says to put to death and to put away. Those later terms express the negative, right? But this putting on expresses a positive aspect of the Christian transformation of character. The putting off and the, the putting away urgency that we talked about, right? We say, kill it, kill it res- resolutely, do it now, right? That is the same spirit where Paul is saying, put on quickly, put it on resolutely, put it on now. And as the old, as the old life is, is associated with our dying with Christ, this new life we have is associated with being raised with Christ, Because we're raised with Christ, we have this new status, we have this new position, we have this new power, we have this new identity. So as we vigorously put on this life of Christ, which already exists with each one of us who have put their faith in Christ, we will more and more reflect his qualities. Like how one commentator states as he uses, helps us understand what's going on with the grammar, he says this, the error tense of the two participles suggests that that it is an event that has already taken place. A qualitative change of identity has already incurred in the lives of believers. It now remains for them to bring their behavior into line with their new identity. Being renewed, which is in the present tense, indicates that this transformation of Christians is an ongoing process. So before we look at the qualities that we have because we're united in Christ, I want us to talk about the result of this new life. Look at verse 11. One of the major results of this new life is that there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What is he saying to us here? Paul is saying that Christ is your ultimate identity. And it's not based on your national or racial distinction or your religious or cultural distinction or your social economic distinctions. All human distinctions are overruled and transfigured by our union with Christ. All barriers are destroyed at the cross of Christ and all believers are truly created and seen as equal in the sight of God. So each believer, regardless of our backgrounds, are to put on this new self, which now reigns in our life. We are now able to live in that unity. That is an amazing result of our new life in Christ. That is how, listen to how one describes it. He says, there's no status distinction among the new covenant people of God. Remember, The Colossian church was made up of many types of people, many different backgrounds. So he's saying that in that light. No one has a special claim on God or is treated with less dignity than than any other. 
Then he gives an example. The Scythian was a group of people located along the northern coast of the Black Sea. To the Greeks, the Scythians were a violent, uneducated, uncivilized, and altogether inferior people. In contrast to such discrimination and prejudice against other races and cultures, Paul shows that Jesus, who is all and is in all, binds all Christians together in equality, irrespective of such differences, irrespective of our past history and struggles with one another. If we are today in Christ, white, black, American, immigrant, rich, poor, middle class, Asian, Hispanic, if we're in Christ, our ultimate identity is in Christ. These distinctions don't go away, but what reigns in us now, that what unites us together is our faith union with Jesus Christ. So with that in light, then he gives us these qualities that we're to reflect about Jesus. And it's all about living out in that realized community. We have the qualities now to put on to express our common unity in Christ. We have already what exists by being in union with Christ, now by the Holy Spirit, to be able to display these qualities to one another. What are these qualities? Look at verses, 15 through, verses 12 through 16. It says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, or gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank- thankfulness in our hearts to God. So let me flesh out some of what these terms mean, these qualities of Jesus that now resides in us. First, he describes a compassionate heart or compassion. This refers a pity and a tenderness expressed towards those who suffer, those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are in emotional pain, those who are dealing with sadness or dealing with depressing, depressive thoughts, or feeling dejected. This word for compassion is a heart moved towards another in need. And it comprises of three elements. A need that has been expressed, a response of mercy and love to that need, and an action that alleviates that need. We have that quality that resides within us. Not only that, we have kindness. That word is derived from grace. That supernatural grace. It's a grace that God has shown abundantly to us as sinners. Who has that grace that has saved us and transformed us into a people. That same grace that God has offered that to us now resides in us. And we can pass that that quality of grace to those in our lives. It is a fruit of the Spirit, in fact. And often when we show that kind of kindness, it will cost. It is self-sacrificing. It's different than being nice, which is more self-serving. No, when you, and again, look at the dynamics. These are people that have struggled in the past, and now they're in a church together. And Paul is knowing that there's going to be tensions on how to live out this, 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 this compassion and kindness to one another. And he said, I want you to remember that all of you have been giving grace. And because you've been giving grace, no matter what you think of the other person, that grace must define you, and you must operate in that means of grace to that show to one another. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. 
They're, humility and gentleness are somewhat related. Humility denate, denotes the thinking lowly of ourselves because we are so. And it's actively working with people who are different than us. Knowing that we're united in Christ, we have a spirit of learning for one another. I have, throughout my life, have been intentional and in, in getting to know people who are different than me, that look different than me, that come from different backgrounds than me. Why? Because I want to learn from them and, and that we can learn to, to, to live life together, right? So we ask questions to get to know that person, to what they believe, to how they think and how they were raised. It helps me to just dispel the thinking that how I was raised was the right way, right? As we learn from one another, we, we learn to know that we, can, we can, we, that we don't have all the answers, that assumptions that we may have may be, need to be, be corrected. We walk in humility and then gentleness. Gentleness denotes the opposite of arrogance and self-assertiveness. It's one who has a delicate consideration for the rights and feelings of others. It's a willing to make concessions. It's a willingness to renounce one's own right for the sake of another. Patience. Here, Paul is challenging us to be long-suffering and denotes a self-restraint that enables one to bear injury and insult without restoring to revenge or hasty retaliation. And along with patience, we have this idea of bearing with each other and to forgive. Again, bearing with each other suggests the thought of putting up with things we dislike in others. If you're married, we know that there's things in our, our spouse's life that gets on our nerves, right, if we're honest. It's learning to bear with one another in those times. And forgive, often a word used of God's action towards us, right? It has a sense that we are now, because we're in union with Christ, because we have the life of Christ, we have this new life in Christ, because of Christ, we're able to forgive and to bear with those who, who have sinned against us. We're willing and, and able to forgive those who have grievances against us, even if they do not ask for forgiveness. Even if they're those who do not confess to the wrongs that they've done, by God's grace, we're able to forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us when we have wronged him and betrayed him. Yet he forgives us. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with another, forgiving, is all wrapped up in this next word, love, right? This is agape form of love. It's a supernatural love. Above all the qualities is a manifestation of love and unites all these qualities together. We love because we have been first loved by God. Again, that love, that supernatural love resides in us based on our union we have with Christ. And so we're able to love sacrificially, supernaturally, by God's grace. Then he talks about this, let the peace of Christ rule in your lives together. See, Christians are to render decisions regarding behavior on what furthers the peace of the one body. This peace is to rule. In a sense, it's to, it's to act as an umpire. And here it means that in all our inner conflicts, as well as all our disputes and differences that we may have among one another as Christians, Christ's peace must give the final decision. No matter how much I think I am right, I must be guarded 
Does this bring peace to the body of Christ? So in making decisions in sessions or deacons or in church meetings, in choosing between alternatives or settling conflicts of wills, we must have a concern to preserve the inward communal peace that Christ gave and gives. That should be our controlling principle, the peace of Christ. How does it foster the peace of Christ in our congregation? And as we do that, we are to be thankful people, closely related with the peace of Christ. We're to be thankful for the peace that Christ has given us in our lives. It's not talking about cheerful disposition or positive thinking. But as one has said, it's a steadfast orientation to God in confidence that God rules supreme through the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. And that history is headed for that cosmic reconciled lordship. And as Christians, we live inside that vision that enables us to be thankful. But we're also thankful that the gospel has reached beyond ourselves and is able to reach other people, other nations, other types of people that may not have ever heard of the gospel. And then that song that the, the crier is saying reminds us of this dwelling word of Christ. What is Paul referring to there? Really, it's, he's referring to the gospel, the message and teachings of Jesus. See, this, the gospel, the message and teachings of Jesus must have ample room in our hearts. It must, remain, it, must, it must remain a rich treasure for us. And we're to submit to the demands of the gospel message and let it become so deeply implanted within us to control our thinking and our acting. See, if you're in union with Christ, you have the word of Christ that dwells within you, so it should influence us. We will make every use of every kind of wisdom found in Christ. So that we can teach and admonish one another. So that we can encourage one another in the songs that we sing, in the hymns that we sing, in the spiritual songs that we sing. Reminding us that we do this together in corporate worship. Friends, this is how the new life that we have together in Christ is to be expressed. This is not an option for us. If you belong to Christ, you're in union with Christ. And we're in union together and God is calling us to, to, to express these qualities of Jesus. But we don't do it trying harder. We do it because Christ himself resides in us. We are closed in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. And as we grow in our relationship with Christ, that becomes more and more a reality for us. That is the life of Christ. That is the qualities of Christ. Then what is the motive to live this new life? Look at verse 12. It says, put on then, put on these qualities then, because I love you more if you do. Does it say that? What does it say? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We want to put on these qualities. Why? Because we are God's beloved. Think about it. That term beloved is often used as the father shows his love to his son. The Father in heaven who shows his love to his son Jesus. Jesus is often referred to as the beloved. Paul is reminding us because of our union with Christ. Because of what, how God has shown us much grace. That we want to live this way is because we have been greatly loved. We are part of his family. We have been chosen to reflect him. We are his sons and daughters that he delights in. That he's made holy. So we do these things. We live this new life 
because of what God has done for us, because we are now his very beloved. That's good news. It's not about trying harder. It's not trying to prove our existence to God or try to get him to accept us. No, we're accepted only through the person and work of Christ and us putting our faith in him. So we want to work hard killing the old life and putting on the new life because, as a great theological song that we teach our kids remind us, because he loves you. The Bible says he loves you. How's it go? This I know for the, the Bible tells me so, right? How do I, I'm just like lost. Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Thank you, family ministry director. <laughs> right? That is our motive in putting on these qualities. So what is our goal? Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul ends as he begins, not with a list of do's and don'ts to be holy, but to submit all that we do and all that we are in our relationship with Jesus. And it's the relationship that he's given us in this union. One has said this, as we live this Christian life, the Christian, the name of Christ makes sacred and dignifies all our work. Nothing can be so small, but this world makes it great, nor so monotonous or dull and tame that his will make it beautiful and fresh. So we must ask ourselves, what is the Christian thing to do here when we're faced with different things? Can I do this without compromising my Christian confession? Can I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I thank God for giving me this opportunity to do this thing or to have this relationship? In everything we do, we are to keep hold of the, God, of the sense of God's goodness. So how does that work practically? Parent, when a child disobeys you, what does it look like to put on the new life that you have in Christ? To close yourself with compassion, gentleness, humility. Child, when your parents exasperate you, or criticize you or discourage you, which I have a history with my kids, right? We all do. What does it look like, you child, to close yourself with patience, kindness? When a friend lies to you or betrays you, what does it look like to put on the life you have in Christ? To close yourself with the words of Christ, to show kindness and compassion, to bear with him or her. When you see someone in need, what does it look like to put on Christ and close yourself with compassion and love? When falsely accused, what does it look like to put on the word of Christ, to put on patience, to put on forbearing with that person? Or when your spouse offends you on what he or she does or what he or she doesn't do, what does it look like to close yourself with forgiveness? Corey sister Betsy while they were in the camp grew ill and weakened through Corey's begins to lose hope under the oppression of the camp Betsy encourages her with a vision of their ministry to prisoners and guards alike when the war ends as Betsy died and Corey grieved her loss Corey is comforted by the memories of her father and her sister 
reminding her that God is a source of her strength and that she will never face life alone because of this union she had with Christ. So picture, she's back in the room. That guard asks, shakes her hand, wants to shake her hand. What will Corey do? How will she display her union with Christ? How will she display the qualities of Christ? Will she reach out her hand? Well, she does. She reaches out her hand as she remembers the love and the forgiveness that she received in Christ, and she offered him forgiveness and grace and encouragement. You see, true holiness is hidden in the daily life, expressed in the ordinary, and revealed in our relationships with other people. Our holiness grows as we gaze upon Christ, knowing him more intimately. And as we grow in our relationship, the Spirit of Christ will enable us to more and more to put off the sins of desire and the sins of disunity and to put on the wonderful, beautiful qualities of compassion, gentleness, patience, love, etc. See, the more active we are in the pursuit of holiness, the more certain we may be that the energizing power that enables us to be active is the work of the Holy Spirit. As I end this section on Christ-centered holiness, friends, I want us to remember that Christ-centered holiness is realizing, first and foremost, that Christ himself is our holiness. Let me pray, and then after I pray, let us rise and sing. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our holiness. That we're not holy apart from you and apart from a growing relationship with you. Thank you that you have provided all that we need to put off and to put on. So give us grace as we live in this journey to, to flesh out this new life we have in Christ with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and respond in song.